For the week of Thursday, March 28th, 2019, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Hello. This week, we revisit our interview with Laura Vandernut Lipsky. She is the founder of the Trauma Stewardship Project, and she's the author of the book, The Age of Overwhelm, Strategies for the Long Haul. In a conversation geared specifically toward the activist, Lipsky lays out the importance of recognizing when you're overwhelmed and how to, and maybe more importantly, how not to deal with it. That's coming up, so stay with us. Okay, gang, this week has been a tough one for reasons that I don't need to go into. And, you know, we've always talked on the show about this being a sprint and not a marathon, but I also really like the analogy of singing in a chorus. So sometimes a chorus will sustain a note way longer than any single person physically can. And the way that they do this is by having certain members stop and take a breath imperceptibly while others keep on singing and then they trade off and the song carries on. So you may know someone who is taking a breath this week or you may be taking a breath this week. But either way, it is so important to do this because we know that if we don't take care of ourselves and we need to, we burn out and then we're not good for anything and we won't be able to keep singing when other people need to take a break. Am I, uh, am I stretching this metaphor too far? Yeah, probably. Anyway, if you are taking a break this week or even if you're not right this minute, this show is for you. Laura Vandernut Lipsky is the founder of the Trauma Stewardship Project and I reached out to her to discuss her book, The Age of Overwhelm, and to talk about her thoughts and to get her strategies that are applicable to the work that we do here in the activist community. I started out our conversation by talking about how she defines overwhelm. It is where one goes from a place of being able to metabolize what you're experiencing, metabolize what you're being exposed to, that what you are exposed to, there's no tipping points within you where you're getting to a point of like, I don't have capacity. I don't have any reserves. I am so exhausted all the time. I'm maxed out. And then I become cynical and then I become numb. Right. And then I start, then my conduct speech, all of that starts becoming less than impeccable, should we say. Right. (laughs) So it's where you're, it's where when you're not overwhelmed, you're really able to, you know, you move in between your sympathetic nervous system, your parasympathetic nervous system, you have capacity, right? You're able to, you know, many traditions talk about this, that you're able to really kind of bow deeply both to the suffering, also the beauty, you know, you're able to see the beauty, you're able to take in the beauty, you can tolerate sitting there and watching your kid's soccer game and not feeling like, who are you to sit and watch a soccer game while all these horrors are happening over here, that, that you have some you know, equanimity, right? You have some space for everything. And what happens when we're not able for whatever reason to keep up with that mentality, like when, when your system, I mean, sometimes the suffering, just either the depth of it content wise or the magnitude and the frequency is just too, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how much acupuncture you're getting. It doesn't matter how many times you work out a day. It doesn't matter how much kale you're, I mean, you, one, you just can't, you can't keep up with it. That's where our system then can become overwhelmed. Right. Right. And then when we move into trauma, we look at something that again, not a clinical definition, but something that really fundamentally transforms your worldview. Um, it's very personal. Of course, it's completely subjective. What I might find traumatizing, you might feel like it's Wednesday morning. Right. So it's a good place for humility and just having a beginner's mind for all of us, because, again, it's, it's a very personal experience and it's a, it's a very subjective experience. And there's some people who are not feeling any overwhelm right now. And then there's a lot of people who, you know, many of us feel like we're barely functioning because it's just, even even with everything we're doing to tend to it. It is it is so hard 
to take all this in and move through it in a meaningful way without pulling in numbing and disconnecting and detaching and distracting and everything else. You know, you touched on something a, a moment ago, but I just want to go a little bit deeper. Um, in the book, you talk about managing exposure to trauma or stress whenever possible and then, mm-hmm. uh, in your words, metabolizing that exposure. Mm-hmm. What tends to happen when we don't metabolize something fully? You say we get saturated. You say we hemorrhage. What, what do you mm-hmm. mean by that? Part of what I mean is that there is a way that we are at capacity and then we're over capacity. And so you can you can feel a sense of like we don't do well as humans being in an overwhelmed state. And now for a short amount of time, your fight, flight, freeze response can kick in. And, you know, if everything's working really well for you, it kicks in and then you move out of that place that you're not walking all around all the time in a fight, flight, freeze response. You're able again to move really readily in between sympathetic nervous system, parasympathetic nervous system. You kind of put the brakes on, you put the gas on like a hybrid driving situation. But what happens if we become saturated, if what you're being exposed to and what you're in, what you're living, if it's too, if it's just too much, even if you don't believe in spirit or soul or any of that, but just think about just this in terms of neurophysiology, that you can't move this through you and it is backing up within you and you're carrying it in your kidneys and your liver and your spleen and and throughout your nervous system, then what can happen is we lose that ability to do that really smooth gear shifting. So then we're moving through our days in that fight, flight, freeze response, right? And so this is where you know, this is where the the woman I worked with, who was a public defender in Brooklyn, who had like 300 people on her caseload. She did all this incredible work every day. And she said to me, I literally got on the subway today and like deliberately closed the subway doors on somebody. Just mm-hmm. She's like, I, I can't take it anymore. Right. So that's where then you're in this fight, flight, freeze where you are. You're acting in that way. You're tripping on your kids. Right. You're just you, you don't even recognize yourself anymore. And those are some of the signs to watch out for. Right. That, that you're in Absolutely. overwhelm. Right. Right. That you're in overwhelm and that you and and part of what we lose in overwhelm, right, is is we lose a sense of humility. We lose a sense of being curious. Like you're not fascinated by anything. You're just you're just like if somebody will say something, you'll just be like, Fuck you. You don't even hear what they said, but you're just like, no, I'm pretty sure my response to that is you. Right. <laughs> and you're so you're not curious. You're not humble. You know, your shoulders are up by your ears the entire time. Your jaw is tense the entire time. And I think the other piece with this that is important to remember is as humans, many of us, it's so intolerable to to feel all of this. So what a lot of us do is reach for anything that can help us numb out. Right. So there's the classics, you know, but even if you're not engaging in cocktail hours and getting high and all of that, many of us and certainly many of us activists, what we do is we'll just work more. We'll just move more quickly. We'll just bring more into our day and we'll just gear. I mean, that's not the only reason we're doing that. But many of us do reach for adrenaline. Right. In addition to any of the other ways we might numb out. Well, yeah, I mean, numbing out. I mean, I I really want to get into that because you have a lot of important things to say there. But one of the ways that you talk about mitigating overwhelm is in controlling what we can and letting Uh go of what we can't. And we hear this a lot and maybe even getting beaten over the head with it. Uh, But, uh, and I think this is very pertinent to activists, you talk about the difference between what is within our individual control and what's within our collective control. And this Uh is an important distinction, as I say, for activists, because we work collectively. So explain what you mean by that. So 
I think it's helpful to acknowledge that there are a number of things in all of our lives that are that are absolutely out of our control. Right. And so there are these massive things that are happening federally or statewide, even locally. So there's all there's all the government pieces. Many of us are in workplaces or in school settings where there is a lot that is out of our control. And then with what's unfolding nationally and internationally. All right. So that alone, I think a lot of people can just start short circuiting there. Okay. so then we want to look at, Okay, well, so some of that's out of my individual control. However, if I get into a collective body, then some of that might move more into a, a place of collective control, because that's that's where I think kind of that desperate times, desperate measures approach of just like, is now a time? Do you have the capacity right now in your life to, you know, serve on your child's PTA? Do you have a time to take on three more volunteer responsibilities at your church or synagogue or mosque? Like, do you have the time? Is this the time you want to sign up and go do that as well, right? That you're every day you're thinking, and it is a daily practice. Do I have, not just do you have the capacity because again, so many people, including activists, have a tremendous amount of stamina and will override our nervous system. Right. right. So we actually don't have the capacity, but we're like, I'm fine. Like, give me some cold brew coffee. I'm good to go. Well, here we go. <laughs> How much matcha can you drink in a day? So it's it's not just that you can do it, but part of what we look at is how can you engage every day in a way that first and foremost, you're not causing harm. And so that's part of where we want to look at the decision making around what's in my control. Right. And how can I do that really, really well? both to make sure I'm not causing harm and I'm contributing skillfully in whatever way I choose, right? And then how do I be very discerning about not ruminating, perseverating, or engaging in things that aren't in my control that are eroding me? Some of that might be what news you're watching, right? What media you're exposing yourself to, all of those things. Yeah. And so one of the things that you talk about uh, that, you know, people who are in overwhelm are prone to is hypervigilance and that gets into the news cycle. Um, And, you know, let's talk about how we deal with the news cycle because there's so much outrage and sadness and frustration and helplessness that a lot of us can feel around that. Um, And, you know, you talk in your book about how people feel like if they stop monitoring world events, that they're not being, quote unquote, good activists. Uh Um, So uh, my friend Chris Petzold, who is a leader in the Indivisible Movement, asks, uh, how do we stay informed without wallowing in it? Which I think is a great way of Uh phrasing that question. Uh, What are your thoughts here? Well, again, I think this is a place that I think any approach that we can infuse with humility uh, uh, in this part of the conversation as well, because there are some people where their lives may really depend on them staying up to date on everything that's happening, whether it's with immigration, whether it's any number of things. So acknowledging for many people, it is a privilege to be able to step away from it. And I I work with a lot of those folks who are like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, we actually need to know what is happening all the time from a place of like our lives and preservation and all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now with folks who that is their reality, then we spend a lot of time having conversations about, um, you know, how can you, how can you do that in shifts? Right. So if you, again, if you get a collective body there, you're going to take Monday, you're going to take Tuesday, you're going to, you're going to do, you're going to be on call for it, but you're not, you're, all of you are not going to do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Right. Mm. So, so there's still ways to get creative. That's a way that you can, 
pull some things into your control, even amidst that what's not out of your control, just again, from another la- layer of self-preservation, that you're not exposing yourself to that, just that the heinousness all the time. Okay. Now, if that's not your reality, and then you're somebody who you enjoy listening, or you feel like you should listen, or you feel a sense of obligation, again, I think you're asking yourself every day, can I do this with no harm coming to me? And I think many people would say, <clears throat> with so much of the news, no, you can't. I mean, there, there's just so much vitriol. There's so much toxicity. Uh, there's it, it. That is a very, very easy place where you see people go from maybe managing okay to being completely overwhelmed. Yeah. So I think one of it is having some accountability about like, how do I define what it means to be responsible? How do I define what it means to be engaged? How do I define what it means to be helpful, right? We ask a lot, just the kind of phrase, like to what benefit? Like to what benefit is it to have like the news on in the kitchen while you're preparing dinner for the kids to be, I worked with this incredible hospice nurse who talked about how it just took her such a long time to realize she was commuting. She worked very rurally and she was spending so much time listening to the news. And then she'd arrive, you know, at the bed, side of somebody who's dying and their loved ones. And she just, she said, you know, she just did not have her A game anymore because she was just exposed to this for hours on end while she's driving. And then she was trying to go to do this incredibly sacred work of helping somebody transition. Right? Well, she's saturated, so, as you've said. I mean, that, that right, sounds like textbook saturated. saturation. Yeah. Yes. So I think there are some ways. I mean, what some people do is they'll read about it instead of listening to it. What many people do is don't watch it but either listen to it or read about it. What some people do is they have their very trusted podcast, you know, you all, right? Pod Save America. There's a number of people where you 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 kind of know, okay, I can count on, here's what I can count on here. For a lot of people, it helps to have some, not to diminish anything or belittle anything, right? But that you're going to balance it with some humor, right? Somebody who you have some kind of trust in. And you know, if you listen to that or Trevor Noah or whatever it is, you're going to get the amount of information that, that you need, right? For what's helpful for what you can actualize. So you can be serving in the way you want to serve. And it's without, we would hope, you know, the just seething hatred, the contempt, the vitriol to say nothing of the misinformation and the disinformation. Well, I'm, yeah, I mean, that's that's the whole other source of, of outrage there. But, you know, what I hear you saying is, you know, strike a balance that works for you, uh, yeah. which is challenging because these things affect us on an emotional level. And, you know, the reason why a lot of us got into activism is because we care. You know, we believe in fairness and justice. Um, and you brought up something that can go along with that, and that's feelings of obligation. And, and I think this is particularly pertinent for activists because this is another place where we can be vulnerable to guilt, uh, this feeling that we're not doing enough. Uh-huh. How do you ad- address that? Yeah. I think that part of what is so important for us to remember is there is a time and a place for grieving and for mourning and for letting our hearts break and our minds be blown and our spirits feel annihilated. Like there, there is, there, it is, I think it is critical that we allow ourselves individually and collectively the space to be able to grieve and mourn and kind of walk through that fire. I think you can do that without wallowing, as you said. I think you can do that without getting into any kind of a, you know, unhelpful, we're being persecuted place. I think it is being able to acknowledge the rea- you know, people say, wake up to the present moment, acknowledge what is unfolding and acknowledge what is happening. 
Okay. I think if we do not allow ourselves to go to those places, and this is where mindfulness is so helpful and so many yeah. traditions are helpful, being able to say, like, here's me. I feel guilty. I cannot go to another march this weekend. And and I feel so guilty about that, and I feel like I'm betraying. Okay, and, and so what, what would practitioners say of so many traditions? They'd say, all right, so acknowledge that. So there you are. But just because you feel that way, that doesn't mean then there's a causation of – I'm going to like, however, you know, spend less time with my kids or take my kids who are my kids who are saturated, you know, one's kids who are completely maxed out, right? Because of everything we as parents are exposing our kids to as well. And I'm going to have them go to another march. So you can feel something without it translating into conduct that might not be helpful for that time. That might, now it might be helpful another time, right? I mean, you're not trying to like wipe away all, I mean, guilt is like a portal into behavior change is one thing. But for so many of us, it's not like 2018 is the first time any of us felt guilty. So I think that's what you want to <laughs> yeah. look into, like right. what were the messages I got back in the day? How was I raised, right? What did all the things I was, you know, whether it was your school or your coach or your religion or your spirituality, so you want to look at what it's kicking up for you. And also the same thing, you know, guilt, anger, any of these, as we say in early childhood education, any of these big feelings, I think we want to be able to look at them really very honestly and head on and be able to say, okay, I'm feeling that. What is that about? And also what choices can I make in this moment to not cause any harm? Well, you're talking about responding there instead of reacting. And, you know, you're, uh-huh. you're talking about mindfulness and, and you bring up uh, meditation in the book. Uh-huh. And, and this is something that I know uh, a lot of people grapple with. Um, I will just say from my personal experience, I was somebody who was an infrequent meditator, maybe for like the the last 25 years, and I never noticed any results at all. But mm-hmm. maybe only over the last three months that I've started doing it every single day, that's been the thing that's made the difference. Right. Um, and I've noticed that with the daily practice that you get to a place where you can kind of observe those sorts of emotions that you're talking about, the anger, right. the guilt, the, you know, the, the, the searing rage that a lot of us feel yeah. at the news cycle. And you can sort of observe them without feeling like you need to react to them. You can choose... Yes your response. Yeah. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. And that's where, of course, I mean, this is where we look to every, I mean, this is where you're looking to Desmond Tutu and you're looking to Mandela and you're looking to Victor Frankl. You're looking at all these folks who came before us and that's what they talk about, right? Is that we can always choose our response, even if sometimes that's only an internal response. Sometimes it's what comes out of our mouth. Sometimes it's, there's a whole continuum of this, but I think that's where we want to make sure that we remind ourselves we do have agency within us. Right. And and the other piece is to remind, remember with what you're talking about is that we cannot be dismantling oppression out there while replicating oppression within ourselves in terms of how we are or are not taking care of our health. We can't be like employee of the year out there, activist of the year out there if we're destroying our family. Right. And the other thing is like. Everything, all the good that we're doing out there, we also want, as Desmond Tutu said, your means being consistent with your ends. So we want to make sure that we have right speech, right conduct, right action. We want to make sure we've got some A game with each other. And again, when we get to that place of hemorrhaging out, you might be spectacular with the activism you're doing. And then your movement itself is, is facing a lot of messiness, right? Or you might be spectacular, you know, leading your organization, doing whatever you're doing. And your kids never see you. Your partner never sees you. And then, of course, there's our health, which a lot of us are just like, whatever, 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 you know, until your health kicks into such a degree that you're not saying whatever anymore. And that's why 
we always want to be really thoughtful about, again, that doing no harm preemptively and proactively. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you, that gets into issues of self-care. And that's something that we hear very frequently, almost like a, a mantra. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and that's related to something that you touched on earlier, which is, you know, when you hit that point of overload, uh, it's OK to check out sometimes mm-hmm. uh, as long as, you know, you're not doing harm to yourself as you're, you know, you're not, say, drinking three bottles of wine or whatever. But say, you know, binge watching yeah. Netflix uh, is the example that you give in the book and that that's fine as long as you do it mindfully while you're checking out. So talk about that. Yeah. And I think so with that piece, so much of what we're trying to go for is not get We don't want to get on that binary kind of collapse analysis of good, bad, right, wrong, any of that. Right. Part of it is simply having awareness. Right. So even if the awareness, you, if you know you are going to be on Snapchat and Twitter and Facebook and all these platforms all, all day, can you have the awareness to not wake up to them? Right. I was just speaking to a journalist and she said, all right, I, you know, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try to, like, allow myself to wake up lay in bed for three full minutes before I reach to my phone. You you refer to that as taking charge of your morning, right? Yeah, protecting your morning. Protecting your morning. You want to come into your, I mean, you know, different people behind different days, different ways, but like that you come into, you. so many of us wake up with so much cortisol rushing through our nervous system. Anyway, many of us don't need more. Like you don't want to wake up in that like fight, flight, freeze response every day, if at all possible. So if your life is something where you're not living in that everyday trauma and you're not waking up to that fight, flight, freeze response, but then you're, you're bringing it in by through social media or through the news. So if the first thing you, if the last thing you do before you drift off at night and then the first thing you do in the morning is you're enraged and you're terrified and you're despairing. I mean, how, how, how little amount of time has to pass just before your nervous system collapses under the weight of that right so that now some people might say well that's checking out and then you say all right well i I do that for three minutes and that's going to help me sustain through the day right um and then there's the other piece that we talk about is whatever you're participating in again yes like you're saying you want to do it intentionally so if you want to hunker down and watch you know game of thrones for six hours or if you like just can't wait to do that Fortnite weekend or watch everything shonda rhimes has created what you want to be able to track here's me going to this place and you're doing it without guilt and you're doing, I mean, as long as, you know, mass neglect isn't happening around you, but you're you're (laughs) doing it intentionally. You're not, you're not, I talk about this with adults and I work with a lot of adolescents and we talk about this too, where sometimes you can get so into that place where you're like, ah, the Netflix auto reload. I don't, I don't know how to press pause. Here's me on my eighth season again. Right. (laughs) So I think there's a huge difference between like, I'm just, I'm going to take, I'm going to take a moment here. Right. And I encourage people, you don't want to get caught up on the language. Like, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of fields I work in. I never, I never use the term self-care because so many people, they get their backup around that or their association of it is, is very, very weighted. So kind of, I don't care what you call it, but in terms of most of my orientation, when I work with folks, is just how can we help you literally stay alive? Right. Like how, how can we, and, and, and with so many people, their health breaking down, rising suicide rates in many of the fields I work in. Right. And then there's folks who are staying alive and just our quality of life is so, is so not what it could be. And so I think that whole piece of however, whatever language you want to use, but just don't, we don't want to get caught in somebody just being like, oh, self-care is bullshit because you had some bad self-care training 12 years ago. Right. And, and what we're talking about here is really how, how are you going to stay alive? 
How are you going to work for some preservation here? And again, how are you going to do no harm? Because you and I could be out there thinking, here's us working for liberation. And we could be such messes that everywhere we go, we're just spewing toxicity. And at that point, we're causing harm. Right. We're, we're closing the subway door on people, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So just in, and I, I kind of want to bring this all around to a very real life example here. One of the things that is coming up this week is the hearings to confirm Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is a tough one for a lot of progressives uh, because Kavanaugh is expected to be the deciding vote to roll back things like a woman's right to choose, yeah. LGBTQ rights, voter rights, the ACA. It's a lifetime appointment, and uh, the chances of stopping this at this point are admittedly pretty slim, and that's causing a lot of people to feel despondent and helpless and powerless and overwhelmed. How would you counsel activists here? A lot of what I try to remind folks is having your big feelings, you know, raging, grieving, mourning. So feeling deeply, and remember, we want to be very responsible with the actions around our feelings. So if I'm in a state of rage, I get to do that at the boxing gym. I don't get to do that when I'm driving down the freeway and I don't get to do that when I'm trying to parent and I don't get to just be an awful person in a restaurant. Right. So you want to like, here's my feelings and here's how I'm going to direct them constructively, productively, or at least in a way that's not going to cause any harm. And then I think being very discerning about where right now, where where can my efforts, what can I do, you know, agency wise here? Where can my efforts be best spent? What is in my immediate realm? Right. Like, should I return this phone call for my brother in law who I haven't called back? Right. Is there a neighbor who's struggling and I could go be of help there? Right. Is there something local I could do that would be really, really meaningful for the Boys and Girls Club? So take action where you can, where it's effective. Yeah. And continue to interrupt this place of powerlessness that many of us, you, you, again, when our systems get that maxed out, we can just go to a place of like, what, what am I going to do? I mean, look, the straw ban is a, is a good example of this with the, the plastic consumption and how the plastics are polluting so many things and the seabirds and the albatross and all that. And for so long, you would talk to people about this and you could see them disassociate. Right. Right. And then you have like, you know, random people like me, because I've learned from Chris Jordan and other wonderful activists out there like, hey, do what you can. Stop using plastic bags and stop using straws and all this stuff. So I'm the person with my kids. I'm like, we can't use any straws. And my kids are like, oh, my God, you are so unhinged. And now <laughs> 2018, September, there are straw bans. In, literally, you can't get straws anymore in so many places. There was a time that many of us would be like, what can I do? How am I going to help the albatross? How am I going to help the seabirds? How am I going to help the ocean and the coral reefs and all of this stuff? And you couldn't think of anything. And then some people were like, well, try to do this small thing. And then you did it. And then some things shifted. Okay. So I do think being able to, it's it's not all, you know, how can I tend to my local center here, even while all of this just unbelievable suffering is being put on people out there, but you do what you can for that suffering Right. While also doing something that interrupts your powerless and where you can actually affect change here. You know, if you have a mayor who you really appreciate your mayor, what what can you do there? What can you do for any of your the local piece as well? Yeah, because part of it is us having to reframe every day. Like, how am I going to get out of bed every day, which is a real struggle for a lot of people? How am I going to get out of bed every day? 
right? How am I going to not cause harm and how am I going to contribute skillfully? And so I think being able to kind of run through those, run through those pieces and then anything you can pull in and commit to daily that, that helps you get out of bed, you know, not contribute to the problem here and then, and then contribute skillfully wherever you can. Well, I think that's a great place to to wrap it up. The book is The Age of Overwhelm Strategies for the Long Haul on Barrett Kohler Books. Laura Vanderneut Lipsky, thank you so much. Thank you. Really, thank you. I mean, thank you for you and thank you for your comrades and thank you for everything Indivisible's doing. And um, I am so grateful. And any anything I can do that might be of future help, I avail myself. Okay, that's going to do it for this week's show. I will have links to Laura's book and her TED Talk, along with some other information for you at indivisiblepodcast.org. As always, the email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com, and the Twitter handle is at indivisiblepod. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. Thank you guys so much for listening, as always. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.